Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. On this week's episode, we're going to have on Lee Lakoski from The Crush TV. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting interview. We do talk about the biggest buck he's ever killed uh, that he recently killed here a week or so ago. It's been plastered all over social media. Um, but we talked about a variety of other things that I think most listeners are going to be interested in. Uh, the thing that he talked about that really perked my interest is EHD and how he is trying to fight that on his farm in Iowa. Lee is really, um, you could say he's obsessed with white-tailed deer, not only killing big bucks, but also he's obsessed with keeping them healthy and, and really helping his deer herd. And a lot of the farms around him in Iowa had an EHD problem this year, and Lee did not. And so we're going to discuss that, uh, why he thinks that is, uh, his feeding regimen, uh, what he's using to hopefully help deer stay healthy and fight EHD and overcome it. So it's going to be a really interesting interview. And if you're into white-tailed deer and helping them, this is going to be a podcast you're going to want to listen to all the way through. But before I get Lee on the phone, I'd like to thank my sponsors, my title sponsor, uh, Redneck Blinds, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, who also make the final rest system uh, fourth Arrow Camera Arms is best known for making portable, lightweight camera arms for filming your hunt. Uh, they also make this new Final Rest shooting system that is a lightweight shooting system that uh, you can put your bow or crossbow in, pack it in a backpack, and then have a, a, something steady to shoot from in both a, a blind or from a tripod. It takes up a lot less space than most other uh, most of the other shooting systems on the market, and is really lightweight. So check that out. Also, Lucky Buck Mineral, Huntworth Clothing. If you're looking for clothing that doesn't break the bank, check out Huntworth. Morel Targets, their final rest target, uh, is amazing and can stop both arrows and bolts from a crossbow dead in their tracks. Uh, Grim Reaper Broadheads, it's my favorite mechanical head. Pine Ridge Archery, Schaefer Performance Archery, if you're looking for an arrow rest that can handle extreme speed. Schaefer Archery has it with their XV Arrow Rest. Outdoorsmans, uh, who make amazing backpacks and tripod systems for uh, glassing big game. And then Wilderness Athlete. Uh, if you need to shed a few pounds like most of us do, Wilderness Athlete has some really good nutritional products. My favorite drink is their Hydrate and Recover. A lot of us gain a lot of pounds. Uh, from eating and drinking too much. A lot of us drink a lot of sugar, and Hydrate and Recover has very little sugar in it. Uh, if you're interested in saving a little money on Wilderness Athlete, go to their website, wildernessathlete.com, enter Drop10 at checkout, and you'll save a little bit of money. Also, I want to thank Illinois Connection, an outfitter in Pike County, Illinois, that I've worked with a lot of years. If you want to kill a big buck, and stay in an amazing lodge, check out IllinoisBowHunting.com. Now let's go ahead and get Lee on the phone. Welcome to the Drop Time Report, Lee. How are you? 
I'm doing great, doing great. Just walked in the door from getting out of the tree stand. Congratulations. It sounds like you guys are having uh, another amazing year. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, you know, it, it, I've just been thinking about that when I was sitting in the tree stand. I was like, you know, out of all that, you know, we get to hunt so much. We're so lucky to be able to do that and, and you know, be able to put in so many days hunting and, and stuff over the years. And for me, for this year to shoot my biggest antelope ever, my biggest mule deer ever, and my biggest whitetail ever, I mean, that's that's a heck of a year I'm having. It just, you know, you're just so busy going and going and going, and you're kind of now just sitting in the tree stand tonight just thinking about it. And it's like, that's a dang big accomplishment considering how many days I get to hunt and all the animals I've shot in the past and stuff. So that's a pretty big deal for me already this year, and I just hadn't really even thought about it until I was sitting in the stand today. And the season's not even, uh, you know, nearly over. No, it's just getting started, basically, with, you know, with, with the rut. And actually, my a buddy of mine, Will, Allison is one of our camera guys, Drew Iowa. He shot a, a big one this morning. So it's starting to crank, uh, you know. So I have a feeling some more will start falling here pretty soon, too. So how this is your biggest whitetail. What does he end up uh, scoring? Uh, 208. 208. And your biggest one before was what, like 207 or something like that? 206. Okay. Yep. Cool. Cool. Yep. And, and believe so, it or not, that wasn't even the biggest one that I had this year. I mean, I had a bigger one that I, I you know, who knows, but I was, I was guessing him to be maybe around 220 or 218 or something like that. And he was there all all year, and he was there all last year, and you know, I knew him well. And then September 6th, he just disappeared. And that was kind of, you know, this year we had all the EHD kind of come through in the whole Midwest. And I just don't know if if he died or or, but, you know, I've been checking our farms. We do so much to try to prevent EHD with fogging and just, feed to keep them healthy and everything else and i haven't found any other ones dead you know i checked all the ponds and everything else so i'm just hoping that maybe when they're it was right at the time when they're stripping velvet and that's kind of the time they died as well but still at that time so many when there's so many bucks together in one place you know where they summer then they start splitting up a little bit so i'm just hoping that maybe you know there's so much corn and stuff still up that hopefully he might have just bumped over to a neighbor's or was out in one of the big standing cornfields or something to show up again but you know, it's been, you know, you're talking over a month now. I'm pretty sure he would have strolled back in and we got a picture of him someplace. I'm afraid he's dead, but, you know, actually Wednesday would have been, you know, number two on that. And it was on that same farm as well. So, you know, it could have been a, a real heck of a year if he would have stayed alive. Yeah. Now, how how old do you think a buck that's 218, like that, 220? I mean, is he seven and a half, six and a no, half? No, he what was only thinking? five. He was only five. five. And yeah, Wednesday was seven and a half. You know, I don't know most of these deer, you know, from the time, you know, you start paying attention to them at three, you know, you, you see them at two, but you know, all two-year-olds are just, well, they're just a little spindly. Two-year-olds, you don't really take too much notice of them until, you know, when they get to be three and they start getting a bigger frames and, you know, they start adding stickers and splits and different things. You start really paying attention to them then, even though, you know, like Wednesday was his best rack that he ever had up until this year was at four. And he was a 10 at four with, you know, some splits and stay on his brows and some stickers. And we, so we're really paying attention to him. And like, boy, he should he's really bow into a good one because he had good mass and everything at, at four. Then at five, he just kind of went backward to a nine point and he still had the, the stuff on the brows, but no stickers off him. And then at six and a half, the same thing. He was just a nine, but he did have like a little point coming down at the tip of his beam on one side. And he had maybe like one little sticker off of, off the side, but that's why I hunted him a ton last year. I probably put 30 days into him last year, um, just because he was six and a half. And he was big and heavy, I and mean, he still had huge mass, and everything. he was still probably a 180 inch deer. But you know, you're thinking that okay, he left him at 
you know, at five and six, you know, they're some of their prime years and he, you know, he never put that four back on and he never you know, put the stickers back on that he had. So you just kind of figure, well, it's what he's going to be. And I'm lucky. I, I'm happy I didn't shoot him last year, you know, cause I had a, like one op- good opportunity and I, I saw him two other times. Um, I'm glad I didn't. I'm <laughs> glad I didn't yeah. get him last year. Good boy. He's it's always uh, 30 inches at seven years old. It's always a game of kind of Russian roulette, isn't it? When you guys who really let him get till that peak age to decide, mm-hmm. do you give him another year or take him now kind of thing? Right. And normally, like the way it's been, you know, at five years old, we're just like, okay, if you like him, take him. Because, um, you know, most of the time, it seems like with the EHD now and his neighbors and, and just, just whatever the mortality rate is so high for him. I mean, sometimes some deer will just disappear and you think somebody shot him and you go, like you're talking to disappear in the middle of November. So you're like, well, somebody must have shot him. And then you go shed on that year and bang, you find him dead right in the middle of your property. You say, what the heck would they have died from in the middle of November? You know, you got pictures, you've seen them and, and you know, they've just been, you know, they look super healthy. And I don't know if they just from fighting get gored by something or, or what happens, but you know, at, you know, for deer, that's what I'm so thrilled about shooting Wednesday. I've just, I've been happier about that deer just about than any other deer I've ever shot. Not just because he's, you know, my biggest, but just because he was seven and a half as well. Because, you know, really that's kind of winning the the whitetail age lottery. That's like a human, you know, making it sure. to 110, you know, because there's just so many times they just don't even make it to five, let alone to seven and a half and stuff. So I was real thrilled about that. Wow, that's that is an old deer. Just think all the close calls he's had over his life to make it to that point. Yeah, for sure. And you know that that's the reason I really hunted him. You know, last year a bunch too was because I already shot a big deer that you know the one ninety and just kind of like now after you shoot a big one, I'm just kind of very picky and I just don't want to be done yet. And you know I saw a big one yesterday morning and a big one this evening that normally I would have been hunting for and would have shot, but you're like, well, I've already shot a giant. So let's just look at some of them. Maybe let some of these go, you know, another, another year. And I just don't want to be done yet. You know? So sure. you're like, well, I don't want to be done on the third. I don't know what else or the fourth. I don't want, who knows what's going to show up. So, you know, you just kind of get lucky that way. And that was the same thing last year. I shot at Pugsley at, uh, on like October 26th. And so I just, you know, even on Wednesday, I was like, okay, I'll go hunt Wednesday because he's like the most neurotic deer we've ever had. I mean, the most irregular, like I said, he would, you might get, you'd never get a picture of him in the same place twice. And you'd never get a picture of him twice in the same week, basically. So you'd get a picture of him and then you, okay, he must be over here. So you go over there and hunt, you know, on that side of the farm or something for you know, a week or 10 days, no pictures, no seeing like, well, he must have left when someplace else. Awesome. Boom. There'd be another picture of him someplace else. So, oh, well, maybe he moved over there. So you're out with just like a shell game, just constantly, but he would never do the same thing. And that's why I kind of hunted him a lot last year because I really didn't want to be done by that. Well, heck that deer is the toughest deer I've ever seen to hunt because there's just nothing regular about him. There's no pattern about him. So, you know, that's what I, mean. like I said. I had a five, 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 but 30 or 40 days in on him and I saw him three times. And most of that time was late season, you know, when you got big food plots and deer are just piling into the food. And, you know, even even then, normally you can count on, you know, some of the other deer that are five and six years old are out every single night, especially when we had cold weather. And not him, though. No. I mean, like once, I think I sat there 20 nights, probably almost every single day from, you know, December, uh, you know, when, as soon as the bow season opened back up again, 
whatever day that was last year, it would be somewhere around December 20th or something like that, all the way through to January 10th, almost every single night, and we saw him twice. You know, so. so set the table. How did it all come together this time? You know, did you were you getting a more regular photo pattern, or you just got lucky? Yeah, no, he was he was becoming more regular, and, and I think a lot of that is just because in this farm we got it's the one farm that I kind of have for myself that I'm like okay I'm I can I can let deer go like at five because they seem to stick around a lot. I mean, this there's we have some farms that you know deer are not there all summer. They're just so you go check cameras, there'll be nothing in the summer, maybe one or two little bucks, and there's tons of does. And then once crops start coming down, you're hunting season, bang, a whole bunch of them show up. But this is a farm that everything stays there for whatever reason in the summer, or most of them. So you're getting pictures of these deer all summer long, and they stay there. They just kind of, they never leave. So I always figure, okay, I can leave some deer there because they're not, they're not leaving, they're not getting killed, they're not dying. I mean, it doesn't have a big creek system in it where, you know, we're, we're historically the EHD and midges and stuff are on. So I feel, you know, safer about about this farm than any of my other ones. So this is a farm that I, I can kind of get some deer through to five and six. And uh, we had that other deer that was five this year with all the drop times. And I was always looking for Wednesday, right from the beginning. I found both of his sheds and they were, you know, right where I thought they'd be. And then I, I could tell his face. I mean, I knew that deer with or without horns on. And most okay. of the winter he was there. And then the spring, you just start, you know, you start farming, you're doing everything else, you're not really paying attention to deer at that time, getting in food plots and everything else. You figure, well, and not until early July when they start getting their horns, I really start paying, you know, something that you can see what they're growing, you know, to, to really pay attention to them. So then you start, you know, checking all the cameras and stuff like in July and stuff. And I know, you know, most of the deer I know even from their faces and stuff, even if, even before, you know, and their brow tines, even before they fill out. And he and I never could find Wednesday. I was like, "What the heck?" You know, I wonder what happened to him because he's always here. And you know, we started you know looking at the other ones and that other one with all the drop tines and stuff. That was my real big one. So I really started paying attention to him. I kind of just wasn't thinking about Wednesday. And then, then all of a sudden we got to September sixth, and 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 the big one, you know, with all the drop tines disappeared. And one other of my big ones on the other end of that farm disappeared. And I was like, "Oh man, with EHD coming." And then I was just bummed because. You know, you always think, okay, well, a couple of days later, we'll start getting pictures of him again. He just went someplace else for a day or two, and then all of a sudden it started to get to a week, and then two weeks, and then three weeks, and there's nothing. And, and a lot of the time, we were out west hunting, and I'd stop back home in between trips and check them all again. So then we went, we were in uh, the Yukon moose hunting, and we got home from there, and a buddy of mine, Winston, was checking cameras, and he said, man, a big one is showing up, and has this big flyer, and I, I looked at the picture, and I was like, whoa, that is a big one. And it actually took me about, you know, several minutes to even realize what deer it was. So I was looking through the pictures. He's like, no, he's there all the time now. And uh, so I started looking at some of the different pictures, and all of a sudden I saw a daylight picture. And just from his right side, he's got so much mass on his beam, and he's got it's always just kind of an odd shape, that beam. It had like some veins, veins in it and stuff in it. And I was like, whoa, that's, wait a minute, that's Wednesday. And uh-huh. I saw a daylight picture of him, I could see his face. And then I knew his body and his face. And I was like, holy cow, did he ever blow? I mean, why, how did he put that many points on his, you know, extra points and that big flyer drop off his two and everything? So then I was like, oh, that's awesome that he's back. And I was like, man, he's such a bugger to try to figure out. Now. But so that was, it was awesome to me that, you know, it's like, hey, I got a, a good one to start hunting here again. So I was all excited about it. And he was very regular, too. I mean, more so than he'd ever been. 
you know, we were getting lots of pictures of them almost every, almost every day in that same little turnip bay that we had there. Um, it's in rack radish and then it goes out to a big bean field. So they were all eating out in the big bean fields and stuff. And, and the very first day we went out and we saw him, he came into the field and he just went out and looked kind of scanned around and walked back in. I was like, well, there we go. I figured it's just like, <laughs> just, you know, just like he always does. And then, you know, I saw him and then that was it. And I didn't see him again until like the 13th. We saw, we had a good encounter with him then and, and didn't get a, you know, didn't get a shot at him there. And then I went up to Alberta and came back and, you know, had a couple pictures of them, but not very many, only like one over that whole week that I was gone, like one at one okay. in the morning. And I was like, well, he's still there. He's in there at one in the morning. Just And we're just kind of looking at weather patterns, you know, because it was, we had such a great October. I mean, it was really cool compared to normal. And we just had great, you know, temperatures, you know, in the 40s and 30s at night and stuff. And I was like, man, this is awesome. So we're just kind of looking at weather patterns and, um, you know, we say, okay, it was like rainy and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, and it was super windy, you know, some of those days. And then also, okay, the wind dies on this day and the sun comes out and a nice high pressure and cold. And so we go out and bang. And then I saw him, I saw him again, um, out of that, out of that same field. And he, he comes out and he just kind of chases a doe kind of into the corner where, you know, I couldn't shoot out of the redneck. It was a window, one of the big windows on the far side, you know, and I, I, he was even past the, like, the long window, and I thought, well, he'll come out. He's, just, he's right on the same edge of the woods that the redneck was in. And I said, well, he'll, he should walk right back out. And he jumps the fence and goes back in the woods. And I was like, you got to be wow. kidding me. You know, so then the next day we go out again, the east wind again, because I have a tree stand on one side and then the redneck on the other. And if it's an east wind, they hunt the redneck, and a west wind, they hunt the, the tree stand. And, you know, normally you get west winds. And here, you know, for that whole week, we basically had east wind. So you go out the next night, and I was like, well, there's no way he's going to show up two nights in a row. I mean, I've never even seen him, you know, twice in two weeks, let alone in two days. So we're just sitting there and just kind of watching some does, and we're just, you know, not really – you know, paying much attention to, you know, some of the bucks that were coming out and was like, oh, was, you know, just kind of watching and stuff, but never think that he'd show up. I just looked over in the corner, the same place where he jumped the fence. It's like, there he is. And I thought, okay, he jumps the fence there. He'll come out and he'll be, you know, real close. You know, he'll come right by the long skinny window. And we had the, we got the big window open in the front without spooking any does or anything. And of course he walks all the way to the other side and comes out to we have there's like a hole and there's a hole in the fence over there and he comes through that right under the tree stand and you're like, gosh, you know, like we, you know, it seems like he just has a lot. Should have been in the tree the stand. Yeah. I know. I, but then he just kind of started walking out because the first time that, you know, we've seen him in there, they started just started walking out, out through, you know, kind of feeding through the turnips and kind of walking out towards the beans where all the does were kind of checking him out and he got 52. And then, you know, I'm going to give me a heart attack because I, you know, I had my bow already. And okay. I ranged him. He's, 52 and I started lifting my bow up to shoot and my rod had hit the different click on the on the little shelf in the redneck and he lifts his head up and looks I was like no 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 <laughs> you know, but then he just right away he just put his head back down and started walking again so then I was able to and then I stopped him and then when he looked again and I just you know smoked him at 52 and you could just see I mean you know we shot it in high speed so yeah I mean I knew right away I was like it's perfect and he just went into the woods and and we look at the footage again, he was in high speed and you see it in slow motion, just hits perfect. And you see all the blood just, you know, blast out of both sides. The minute he turns, like, oh, okay, he's done. And I just couldn't believe it. You know, it was like, 
you know, so many, put so many days in on that deer, you, you know, I figured 30 or 40 last year, but every single day that I hunted this year, you know, so you're talking about whatever day I shot him on, so it was the 30th or 29th or something like that. So, I mean, I hunted every single day for him back there, you know, so, uh, you know, the entire month of basically the entire month of October. So I probably put in close to, to 25 to 30, 25 days, probably already this year in on him. Okay. You know? So yeah, but he was becoming more regular. Cause like you could tell when he came up, cause you just don't know, you know, cause the times that I saw him last year, it was mostly just late season. It was late season. I saw him three times and all of them were late season. They were just going out feeding into a cornfield. But you didn't know because it's the same place I shot a buck called Narles Barkley, and I knew from the summer watching him, even though he was giant and super old, he was very docile. I mean, like a like a three year old would come up, like he would be bedded out in the beans, and like a three year old would come and kick at him, and he'd just get up, and, like, and the three year olds would just start feeding there. He just wanted nothing to do with with uh, any any other buck confrontation, non aggressive or anything. Even those giant body and huge, you know, this huge deer, and he's probably you know. Who knows how old he was already old when we bought the farm and it was two years after that i'm guessing he'd be somewhere between eight and ten but even when i shot him out in the clover field he was just out there feeding and he was too far away i got 70 yards and like a three-year-old comes up and bows up and you know blows up lays his ears back at him and he just looked at him and just ran out into the middle of the clover field just to get away from him and then he was at 50 and that's when i shot him but so when I and that's why it was so hard to hunt that deer because he just was you couldn't rattle at him, you couldn't grunt at him, because he's no he, he wants nothing to do with fighting or other bucks. So it's like, well, you're just gonna have to wait for him to walk in front of you at some point, and that's exactly what happened on him. But when the first time that I saw uh, Wednesday this year, you know, I said last year it was always late, you know, they're out feeding, but now there's a bunch of does on this wheat field that have two two kind of bays that come off this big field and they you know, hunt either one of them one of them's in turnips and a lot of times they figure that okay for this time of year it starts getting cold in november they'll walk you know they'll walk through about everything to get to the turnips and rape field and the other one was wheat and clover and then had some peas and lab lab and stuff just kind of mixed in there as well so early you know when it's warmer out and stuff I and mean, deer were just flocked into that field so the first time we hunted that you know, there's just all kinds of little bucks out there and even some decent bucks, you know, like three-year-olds and one four-year-old maybe, but they were all hitting the scrapes and, and you know, bonus is on the 13th. And so they were all blowing up at each other, you know, just, you know, and walking each other off the fields and stuff and all, you know, all the does out there, they're kind of just checking out the does. And when he walked out, it was like the red, like the, like the red sea, it just parted. I mean, every deer <laughs> just parted. No deer wanted to even go by him even does were afraid of him I and mean, he just walked out you just tell he was the boss i mean everything just just stayed clear of him and he just walked over and worked the scrapes and stuff and that time we were in a redneck too and we just couldn't get the windows open he was standing out there at 30 yards feeding and then just working scrapes and stuff and there's just so many does all around us and we had and it's amazing because we just put that redneck out there like the day before i just wheeled it out one on a trailer and I, we thought well man these deer are going to panic from it and i said well heck it's just perfect wind and stuff we got to get out there and try it and heck none of the deer even paid that much attention to it the problem was we cut it was like alongside of a of a hedge tree so i cut a bunch of branches down just so we could get it tucked up you know to the edge of the field a little bit more and we threw all those branches down around the base of the of the trailer and all these d- does and stuff are eating off the dang eating all the sure. leaves off that branch that i cut so so many of them were just right underneath us i mean there's probably you know, eight to 10 does and fawns. And we just trying to open that window 
And of course, on that trailer, it's only you know only six feet off the ground, so they're you know it's not like you're way high up on that. And just trying to open that window, deer would just those would look up at you, and then they're looking at you and staring. And we just couldn't get the thing open. Then he walked all the way to the other side of the field and walked off. But you could just tell right there. There's like no, he is. There's nothing. Uh, you know, there's nothing docile about him. He was the boss, and he knew it. And so that's why I just thought maybe this year he could probably be a little bit more visible. But like I was saying earlier, this is a farm that I, I usually I let five-year-olds go and say, well, let's just see what they can do. And so the age structure is really good on this farm. So in order to be the king, you're going to have to be a deer like, like Wednesday. And I think, you know, because there's quite a few five-year-olds and some six-year-olds and stuff on it. So, you know, I think, you know, maybe in the past that can maybe hurt me with him because there's probably some, there were set quite a few other deer that were six and a half and stuff too. So he, you know, maybe, maybe there's other bucks that were even a couple that I shot over there you know, might've been more aggressive, but this year you can just tell the way that his body language was and the way that he walked in the field and everything just cleared the way that he was definitely the boss this year. And he is huge. I mean, his head now, did neck you, is like, um, a, like a cinder did, block. Do you, did you think uh, when you shot him that he was going to be your biggest or do you think it was going to be close? No, I, you know, I didn't think he would probably break. I, I didn't think that he would break 206. I, I kind of, you know, I've been showing people pictures. And, Boy, would that be 200? I said, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I said, if I had to guess right now, I'd think he's like, you know, high 190s. You know, if, if I had to guess, I'd say 197, 198, 199. But I said, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he made it into the 200s. And then when he got him on the ground, he was just, you know, so many, like pictures don't really do him justice. They put you like your hands on him. And he just had so much mass and, you know, the, Beams were like over 26 or 27, and and just you know that drop that big flyer was you know 10 inches, and because you know all, a lot of the points look shorter to me than he had last year, but then you put a tape on them, and then oh they're 10 and 11, they're you know there's all those points were a lot longer. I think it just somewhat like the mass on them and stuff, and he's over 20 inches wide too, and he never looked to me he looked kind of narrow, you know. But I think just that mass and stuff just kind of takes away from you don't really notice the height and the and the width and stuff on them you know, from when you just would look at him. Um, so when you got him on the How ground, many inches? Like, How many eight. inches did he grow from last year to this year? About 30. Okay. Now yeah. your 206, he grew even more though, didn't he, between those, the year before uh, you killed no, him? No, I think, well, I'm not sure because I don't have the shed from the year before. And, and okay. I found the sheds when, you know, when he was three, but I didn't find him at four. But like this deer on Wednesday, I found him, his four-year-old sheds, both of them, and the five-year-old sheds. So I knew exactly because you know, I, you know, scoring the sheds last year and just thinking I, but it, I said with like an 18-inch spread because I didn't, I didn't think he would be 20 like he is now, but he probably was. Um, you know, I got came up with like the, with the exact score of the sheds and with an 18-inch spread, it was like at you know 181. So, you know, I'm going from that to that, you know, you're talking, you know, almost 30 inches, 28 inches, whatever. And that's just a huge jump for any deer to make really from any age, but especially from five to six. Yeah, it seems to be that that usually there's that one year for every buck, right? When they get to be that old, that's that magical year where they really jump. That seems to be something I hear a lot in doing this podcast is, you know, a buck all of a sudden 
you know, he grows 20, 30 inches and bigger mm-hmm. than anyone ever could have imagined. Right. And a lot of times that's three to four or four to five. But, you know, once you get to, you know, like seven, they, they've they kind of, you don't see it that much. Although, you know, They're an have, old man, but, right? Yeah, we have in the past. You know, we like on Wally, the one at Tiffany's, but that was a little bit different because he kind of injured his leg. He was limping on it the year before and, and even the year that she shot him. So he kind of put like an extra beam and stuff on the other side. So he kind of figured some of those extra inches were just from goofy stuff because he was limping on his, on his, on his left side. So he put this goofy stuff on his right side and which kind of contributed to, you know, him going from like a 170 to a, 190s type so that he grew almost 20 inches bigger too a lot of it was goofy stuff where you know on wednesday it was just weird that he went down from four to five and then he kind of stayed the same you know from five to six so you're kind of thinking okay he's just topped out at six you know because he was just huge body and he always looked so healthy and everything and he's just like you know you just weren't assuming that at six to seven that he would do that you know put on couple extra points on the one side and the big flyer up the other side and you know just keep that mass like that too it's like an incredible mass on everything you know over five inches do you um, think that is um just a, a wonderful growing year in iowa for all the food or i mean what, what do you think the magic is well part of it is probably you know just him you know, going into the year in better shape for whatever reason, but we did have just such a wet spring, which the last, you know, four or five years, we just had such bad droughts. And, you know, and this year just, last year we ended wet and started wet. And so it's been the first year in a long time that we had a really wet spring, which, you know, we couldn't even get crops in until we didn't even start planting anything until almost June 1st, Um, you know, corn or anything. So there was just so much water, and, you know, you know, like I said, you can give, you know, deer the best feed in the world. You know, I mean, around here, I mean, I run feeders all summer and, and not that they need food. It's just because I put protein pellets in there and roasted soybeans and soy oils and there's a whole mix that I put in there to try to keep them healthy and basically to keep them, you know, keep them from dying from EHD because they can okay. survive. They can survive EHD if they're healthy enough and, and everything. So we you know, do stuff and try to get rid of the ticks and all kinds of stuff to try to keep those things healthy that, you know, if they even get a EHD, they can live through it and then they'll be immune to it the rest of their lives. So, you know, we do a lot of, you know, I feed stuff out of feeders all summer here. And of course, you can't, once the hunting season starts, we take them all, we take them all out like in August, September before we go out west. But, um, you know, so there's that, but we always do that. So I just kind of think, you know, even even if you have the best food in the world out there, still 80% of a deer's diet is going to be browse. So, you know, you, they're never going to really reach their potential because they won't just sit and if their entire diet was what you fed them or on soybeans and alfalfa, they have the high protein stuff all summer. I mean, they would grow huge racks, but unfortunately, you know, 80% of their diet is leaves and sticks and stuff just browsing. So, you know, but when you have these wet years like that, I think that browse is just so much more lush and stuff. They just get a lot more out of that as well as the the soybeans and the alfalfas and everything else. So, you know, you kind of think, well, man, hey, that could could be the reason for it. But then 
And, you know, that other, the other one that had all the drop times and stuff that I figured would be like a 220, he was like, he was a nice 10 at four with it, uh, with one little drop time, you know, big kind of heavy mass and stuff. But for him to do what he did, it's like, oh my gosh, that is incredible. But then, you know, there's other deer that went backward, you know, so you just, you know, you, can you really say that was because of a wet spring or not? Maybe on that one, but why did other ones go backward if they were so good then? So you never know. They're just yeah. stuff that's so fascinating about whitetails. You never figure them out. So talk about, um, you're kind of one of the first ones to talk to me about this whole EHD preventative maintenance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. What are all the things you talked about fogging? I mean, what what is your regiment to reduce it as much as possible? Well, one, there's a, you know, there's a, a good friend of mine, Aaron Gaines, is a, he's a animal nutritionalist. He worked in like in the hog industry and cattle and he kind of started another business in uh you know whitetail stuff and you know kind of getting the right minerals and stuff together to keep them healthy and he he worked with uh don higgins and the and and kevin over at real world so they came up with a pellet that's called ehd and it stands for expect healthy deer but you know basically ehd is what they're trying to prevent so and then and then aaron you know made a a whole a whole plan for me for each month of the year that there's corn and the roasted soybeans and the ratios of that to the EHD pellet and stuff like that. So that's where I'm feeding it. It's like I said before, it's like we run feeders and stuff, not to, you know, not to shoot deer. We can't, we can't have them there during the hunting season anyway. And it's like, they certainly wouldn't need food because there's the best food in the world right here with the, you know, the whole, all of Iowa's a food plot. You got cornfields and bean fields and alfalfas and stuff yeah. everywhere. It's basically just to try to keep them healthy. So we feed, we fed that, you know, starting last January and February, as soon as they, you know the hunting season ended here. And then, you know, during the summer months, I got a fogger, which is basically like from mosquito control fogger. And then they got products uh, like permethrin, type products and stuff from Bayer that, that Bayer makes. You put in there, and you, so I just drive the, the road, all the food plot edges, around feeders, around all the creeks and ponds, and just uh, every chance I get, you know, that I have a free minute, I just run out and, and fog everything. And that with the, even with that, you know, that permethrin stuff, I mean, when it hits on the ground, it kills ticks and, and, and stuff as well, and I always spray, you know, for ticks around feeders and everything where deer, you know, spend a lot of time. You just figure just, you know, in the past, you know, the ticks are just so bad. Our deer just their ears look like barnacles, and you know, okay. every every hunting season, you know, our deer would just be scruffy. They have no hair on their backs, and you know, you always have people say, "Oh, is that from going under fences?" They, no, they don't go under fences. They jump them, and that's all just from ticks all over their backs, and they just sit and scratch and scratch and scratch them, you know, and rub all the hair off their back. And then you'd shoot them sometime. They would just have thousands of mine. You hang them up in our walk-in cooler. You'd come in the next day. And underneath the cooler, it looked like a tick factory, you know, from all the ticks. <laughs> and you just figure just how much stress that would put on them. I mean, how much blood each one of those sucking out of them. And just, you know, like a, you know, you know, a person, you get one tick by you, know, Lyme disease, and you, you know, you just, you know, say you get one tick on you and how itchy it is and stuff. And, and you think just having thousands of them on you. I mean, it's just got to be miserable for them. Yeah. You know, so just the stress that that causes and the stress of all the insects and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you just talk to like deer breeders and say they can put 30 inches on a, on a buck just by keeping them stress-free. Um, you know, put them in a, a cage with a black curtain around it where they just don't get, because they're, they're so 
neurotic animals, you know, everything, you know, every little squirrel that moves, I mean, they're just, you know, they're, you know, they're just always on edge. So I think, you know, just keeping them, you know, you just think of the stress that that would put on all those ticks and bugs and mosquitoes and flies and, you know, of course, the midges that, that they get EHD from. So we just try to do everything we can as far as, you know, fogging and spraying stuff for ticks and feeding them, you know, the, you know, the best thing for them to try to keep them healthy. And you can really tell by the ticks because, like, some of our, I mean, our deer, we don't have those big bald spots on them anymore, at least the ones that are there all all summer. You know, there's deer that just come in that don't, you know, don't live on the places that come in when crops are coming down. That, you know, is a different story. Some of those are a little scruffy. But, uh, you know, like Wednesday, just beautiful coats. I mean, and no ticks on them. And you watch them in the summertime, you know, you get their pictures and there's no ticks on their ears and everything like they're, like they're used to be. And so, you know, that all that stuff is working and you hope that, uh, you know, that just even when there's deer dying of EHD all around us, like a good, good example is we have one farm, there's a big cattle farm next to us that's like 700 acres and they found like, um, Jeff Probst, you know, who's on Drury's and from, he's a yep. real estate agent, you know, he, he, uh, texted me, he said, man, have you finding any dead deer over there? Because Brian, cause he hunts on Brian's place. So they said, we, he's found 43 dead deer on his place so far. I haven't found any and you know not that I've walked every place in there but it's the farm that Tiffany shot her first buck on the, this year um that was 175 inch deer and of course you know we're checking cameras like well, I don't know all the bigger ones and the older deer and just most all the deer that I had here all summer are still here but when she, when she shot her deer it just ran right down into the timber into the creek bottom so we kind of walked the whole creek bottom to get them out, you know, just that's the way we drove a four-wheeler in there to get them, and we didn't didn't see any. There were no dead deer in the creek bottom. There was no, didn't smell any. There's no buzzards around. I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, every place I've been around there now, we haven't found a single dead one, and all the ones we had on camera are still here. So, I mean, this is just a neighboring property. So, you know. So obviously you're doing it, something it's, it's right. helping for sure, if not working 100%, because um, I haven't found a dead one yet on any Wow. That, that's uh, a dra- that's amazing to me that you can literally have two farms side by side like that, and he's got over forty deer and you have none. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's not all science, obviously, but obviously what you're doing is having an impact. Oh, for sure. And like I said, I'm not saying that that there isn't any out there dead that I haven't seen. And you know, a lot of times I don't find some of them till shed season. Cause we once we get to hunting season, we're not like walking the timber. You know, you're staying yeah. out of it you're being as careful as you can and so we're still checking cameras every day and you still like in the past when we've lost a lot we, we normally have lost a lot on that farm because there's creek bottoms and it's wet and and stuff that you know but you could smell them in those years like the like 2014 and 15 so we had really bad heck there was no place you could drive on there checking cameras and it just stunk like dead animals everywhere i mean you knew they were there and now this year we haven't found any you when know, did that, you like start right next door when did you start this new program, do you think? Two years ago or three years ago. I've been doing it for three years, and I really haven't found one since. And this is it's a good indication this year because the past two years, you never really had any. I mean, you didn't hear about you know any epidemic of it. You know, Somebody might find one or two here or there. and But it wasn't like one of the bad EHD years like we had in 13 and 14 and 15 in those years. So, you know, you just think, well, is it working or is it just because there isn't any this year? But now this year, with so much of it around us all over the place, and my buddy of mine, Paul Fountain, who's a realtor and a 
outfitter and I've, you know, just been a good friend of mine since the day we moved here. And he texted me and he said, have you found any dead ones yet? And I said, well, I'm out west hunting right now and I haven't really been anywhere, but you know, like Winston, the guys that are here, I haven't found any. And he's like, yeah, we, I found about like 23 so far. And he said, man, it's terrible. And of course, Drury's and Kiskey's and everybody's telling me they found them. And then when Jeff Probst texted me and said, man, they found 43, I was like, oh man, I, you know, because I was out west, I was like, I'm trying to go home and find a mess. And heck, I go to all of our farms and there's just, you know, other than, like I said, those, that, that big one that disappeared on, that I'm talking about on the one farm, but I, I still, I haven't found him dead. I haven't found any other ones dead. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure he just didn't, you know, move out because of other bucks in there or something. Who knows? Maybe he'll show back up, but I, I kind of assume he's dead. So I'm not saying we never haven't lost any, but you know, all the rest of them are on every other farm that we've got, you know, so I think I definitely say it's working, especially on the farm next to, you know, the one that Jeff Probst hunts, because that's no. the farm that we normally have a lot of them dead, and and we haven't lost any that were regulars there all summer. I was like, well, then no, there's nothing disappeared. Everything that we had all summer is still here. And Are you the only today. one? Are you the only one going to this extent? You think? I mean, do you have any other friends trying to do this, or are you kind of? the only man standing that's, you know, working this hard. I don't know anybody else that does. I'm sure they do because I'm, I'm sure that EHD product, I'm sure they sell tons of it. But um, I personally don't know anybody that, uh, you know, does does everything that that we do. But, you know, I'm a little obsessive about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's your it's your living, you know. Obviously, it's your livelihood. Yeah. So you, you're going to spend more time messing with it but but right. it's interesting to me that that's amazing um, yeah that yeah that it's had that big a difference right and especially when i had those big deer this year and i had several good ones because you know it, it, i always tell people like when we first moved down here and stuff you know that we never heard of ehd i mean you heard of it but that was something that happened out on the milk river and in montana on the river bottom stuff so there was we never lost any year and when like the first five years the six years eight years that we were here you know, up until, you know, through, I mean, we had we moved here in 2003 and like by 2010 and 11, we had so many old bucks that I just couldn't find enough people that would get drawn to hunt here and stuff that we could take any of them out. Because, you know, there's a time there when if you were to ask me on all of our farms, how many bucks over five years old we had, I'd say there was probably 60 or 70. And there's, oh just so, there's just so many like that, but we don't, we only shoot like eight to 10 deer a year. So, and of course we, everything we shoot is over five years old, but that would still leave, you know, 60 left. And then of course you say another 10 or 20 might get shot by neighbors, but even if 40 do, you know, or, or 30, okay, well now we got 36 year olds. So we had so many old deer, like eight, nine and 10 year old bucks back, back then. You know, a lot of them were just, you know, crab like short tine, 10, but they, you know, when they got that old, they were still cool. They were always big, heavy mass and stuff. So, but you know, when it took, you know, back then it was a little bit easier to draw, but it was still every third year, basically, I think it's like every fourth year now, but you just mm-hmm. couldn't have, you just literally didn't have enough people to draw to come and shoot some of those older deer. But then after also we got that EHD, like in like 11, 12, 13 and 14, it was like almost five years in a row and no year just wiped them out at all. But just little bits, you know, found a few here, a few there, a few there. And after that, just accumulation of those four or five years, they, I think it was like 2014, 
I said, if you ask me how many five-year-olds I had, and I, and I think I think that you had maybe five. And so you can see that I mean, it was just devastated, you know, our older bucks. And then, and I think the last year was like 15, so we had like 16, 17, 18 without any. So we were just starting to get a bunch of those numbers back, you know, starting to say, oh, man, there's, you know, we got you know, several five-year-olds on this one, so several on this one, several on this one, you know, just starting to come back for that. And then also this year, when that EHD just that epidemic just hit, you know, all my buddies like like you know John Dudley and them over that are a little bit farther west of us, they were just finding all these dead deer and stuff. I was like, oh no, not again, you know. But luckily, I've been doing this, you know, this rotation of this stuff for, you know, this is like my fourth year. I think I started it, you know, in in like 15 when we were just having all those bad years. That I got to do something. I mean, this is not just my career, but I love these animals and just seeing them, you know, suffer and die that way just made me sick and I just couldn't take it anymore. So I got to do something, but you know, here we are, we've had plenty of frost and the EHD is over and I can't say for sure that I lost any. So wow. I'm just pretty pumped about that. Yeah, that is, uh, that's so, now do you think the, the fogging or everything you're doing for all the other insects is obviously that probably helps just not stress the deer out as much correct i mean that's kind yeah of the... right because they can live like so they can live through ehd if they're healthy enough and which is nice that when they do then they never you never have to worry about them getting it again they're immune to it so you know that's the and you can see you can see the ones that have it they got a big their their hooves get all cracked and like big slipper feet on them and stuff like that and then the next year they'll wear those you know, their hooves keep growing, so they wear them down, and they'll be normal again. They won't be limping and, and stuff, and then they'll just come back to pretty much normal. But usually that, that year after the EHD, the racks are smaller, and they, you can tell it's taking a toll on them. But then the next year, they come back and play right back where they were. So, you know, wow. happy, happy to get them, get them through that. You know, a lot of people will listen to this, and, and, you know, you're living the dream, and that's no secret, and you get to manage these huge pieces of property. If If you were a you know, an average Joe of 40 acres, let's say, you know, what, what things would you do given the knowledge that you currently have, you know, what would you do to just help that property reach its full potential? Well, the same thing. I mean, like we've got a, I've got, you know, we did a whole show on it. There's an 80 acre piece that we have. I mean, obviously not that big. I shot my first 200 inch deer on it. Uh, and we've shot like probably 170 inch deer almost every year since we had it on there. But it's just kind of doing the same thing. I mean, you gotta you gotta have your piece. You can always make it better for cover. Um, so we do a lot of hinge cutting. We just take a. I have some buddies of mine that come down from Minnesota that that were you know come with kind of a kind of a tradition. Every year they come down. There's three or four of them, and then me and one of our guys we go and we just pick a farm or two if we can get to it, and just hinge cut big sections of it. You know, to get that undergrowth there. It's okay. This one's getting, this one is pretty open. We can see through it, but, you know, it's just too open a timber. You can't even walk in there without deer running out of here. So we go and just do tons of hinge cutting and open it up. And it's amazing, like that, that, the first year, like the first summer, we always do it like in March and April. And then, like now, we'll go out, you know, hunt in those places and you wouldn't believe the undergrowth, like the brush and bushes, stuff that's coming up. They make it so much thicker, but just that browse that's in there. Um, you know, so, you know, we definitely would do that on your piece. Okay. And so we've done that on, on some of, on a lot of these pieces. And then 
food. I mean, you just you have to have if you want to you want to have deer and be able to keep them there and be able to recruit deer. You've got to have a big food pot. I mean, you can't. That's the one thing that a lot of people they can't do, but you really can. I mean, if you have even if you had an 80 or a 40, if you have the right piece, because like our 80, over half of it is row crop field. So, you know, we plant, you know, 40, 40 some acres of, of corn or beans on it, but then I just have like a big bay that's like eight or 10 acres. And I, I can leave whatever I want there because I plant it myself. But even if you rented it out to somebody, you can make whatever stipulations you want. You can say, well, I'll rent this out to you, but this you're leaving this. You know, it's up to you. It's your property. You can do what you want with it. And mm-hmm. then I have a clover bay back behind that. But the thing is, it's like we start out a lot of these farms, you know, there might not be any deer on them. I mean, there might be two-year-olds or three-year-olds or something because they get shot out bad or something like that. And I don't really care. When you get a farm, it's like I don't care if it has any deer on it because in three years, I'll have it right where I want it to be. Okay. And and a lot of that is having a big enough food plot, like an eight- or ten-acre cornfield or bean field, something I can, you know, start mowing down like the corn with the bush hog like in December and January and February after the season. And when you have a big cornfield like that, just, you know, I mean, you'll have 200 deer in there. I mean, a lot of times there are 100. It's like the first year you might have 50, you know, but deer are coming from all your neighboring properties and stuff and they get to know that's there. And then like they'll have all the fawns that are in there the next year, you know, they'll be living out on the neighbor's property someplace and, and you know, okay, now all of a sudden it gets to the, stressful times, you know, it's cold and snow and stuff, and those fawns remember where the food was, so they come back. So just kind of their numbers just kind of grow exponentially. But see, when you bring so many deer in, like some neighboring deer in there, you get those bucks in there. If you don't have a lot of big, if there's no old bucks in there, like the first year that we buy a lot of these places, there isn't because they just, you know, I think the average age of a wild deer is probably three years old. You know, so there's, you know, maybe two or three-year-olds, but you got some, like a five-year-old or something, living in your neighbors that come in, there's like no other bucks on top of them. They say, well, heck, I'll just stay here. We got does, we got food, we got the best habitat and everything because that's what we've made them into. So you're always just recruiting all the time. And, you know, like like most of our farms that we've had for 10 years now, you're not recruiting too many n- new ones. You have might have them in, in the winter, but we have a lot of old ones there already. So, you know, some not recruiting as many as we did, you know, in – earlier years but you might go in and shoot you know three or four or five year olds off a single farm one year and then you know you recruit some old ones in but you really need to have those big food pots and a lot you know a lot of people's idea of a food pot a quarter acre little piece in the woods and that's fine to shoot a couple deer and then hunt on but you're not going to recruit deer in from that so for me every farmer's got to have a big you know some 10 or 12 acres that and not just one, a lot of our farms will have two or three fields like that. So there might be almost 40 acres of, you know, might be 25 of corn or beans and then another 10 of turnips and, you know, some of clover and stuff. So they, there's always food there in the off season, like from the January, February, and March. And that's the time that you recruit. And that's the one time that you can get all your neighbor's deer in there. And a lot of times they'll just stay. And so, you know, within just a couple of years, You've recruited so many deer in there, and, you know, that age structure, all the deer that are in there, even if they were only three when you got it, you're not shooting them at three, we're not shooting them at four. And so within, you know, second to third year, we got a good crop of five-year-olds, and we'll be right where we want it to be. And even on a small piece like that, that 80-acre piece, you've got, you're always going to have some deer, especially the older they get. If you get them to five, they'll, they hardly ever leave a 40-acre piece. 
like Wednesday from last year and this year, you might randomly, like I think last year I had maybe one picture of them in the rut up on the north end of the farm and maybe one late season because I had a big cornfield up there too. But other than that, his entire life, from the time I started paying attention to him at three years old, he was on the south end of that farm. And now when he was seven, there was probably 15 acres. If I just took the whole rest of the farm away, it's five about 500 acres on that farm. If I took everything else away and said I had this 15 acres, he, I would kill him every time in that 15 acres. <clears throat> There's no place else you're going to shoot him. That, I mean, that's where he lived. And, uh, isn't that uh, isn't that what research shows too? Is you know the older a buck gets, the smaller his home turf, right? Yeah, I don't know because I'm sure they collar them and they learn all that stuff. But this is just what I learned from my own. Because once they get to five, I very rarely leave them to neighbors because they stick so tight, and they hardly ever leave. They got their little spot that they like, and that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna shoot them. And that's what I'm saying. If you got like even a 40 acre piece or 15 acre piece, you make it the right piece that you can, if you can get a deer old enough, like, you know, with, if you can keep them alive long enough to get to, to four or five, they're not leaving it. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to shoot that deer. Um, and for me, like the rut is like the worst time as a, like when, before I owned any land, I just go hunt public land and, you know, knock on doors and all that stuff. I mean, you always just wait, you just waited for the rut. Because, you know, that's when bucks were on their feet and, if, you know, that's the time you'd see them. But for me, that's my worst time because, you know, most of all these deer, I watch them all summer. You know exactly where they are. They're not going anywhere. So they're going to come in and uh, they, they're they going to be right there. So, like, in October, it's, hey, I may not see them every time, but I know they're right there. So they may, you know, as soon as you just wait for the white weather or whatever, they come out in daylight but they're just going and bedding and coming back. Same thing in late season. They're going to go up on the ridge and bed, come down to the food. That's their whole routine. I never have to really worry about losing them. But when you get to the rut, that's the one time that, you know, it's like an etch a sketch. I always say you just shake it up at night, you know, and they don't know where the heck's going to land in the morning. You know, they could be two miles away if they get on a hot dose. So you could lose them there. I mean, they're, they're, their area, their core area is still going to be that small, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to get on a dough that drags them someplace else. You know, so, but unfortunately for us, I mean, most of our farms, we have a lot of does too. So they, they get off one thing, they get on another one. And those does are just, when their home bodies are kind of the same way, you know, they'll stay, you know, fairly close as well. So, um, you know, getting into the rut, you know, that's why I just, I'm so happy I killed Wednesday, you know, before the rut really started because, you know, it was getting to the point where, okay, I'm just hunting the does. Where are the most does? What field are most of the does in? And that's where I'm going to find them. And, I'm lucky, lucky we got them because they want to get to the rut and you never know where they're going to be. Then they get locked down with a doe. You might not see them for two weeks at a time or not even get a picture of them for you know, a week or 10 days. And they're just like, man, did, you know, then you start getting worried. Did the neighbor shoot him? Did something else happen? You know, is he gone? Is he dead? Am I sitting here hunting a deer that, that's dead? So I move on to something else. And then bang, you get a picture of him in, in between those. Oh, he's still there. And you run, you know, it's just, it's nerve wracking during the rut for, you know, for, for me. And once you get the rut over sure. with and get to December, you're like, just a big sigh of relief. Okay, now they're all safe. They're all back home again, <laughs> you know, because they're not going to leave now. You know, once they're there, early season, late season, they hardly ever leave. You know, not that you see them every day, but, you know, you're pretty much sure that they're not going to get shot on anywhere else because, you know, they they just don't move very much. How uh, how did the buck get his name Wednesday? Well, <laughs> that was like on that farm a long time ago. We had a, 
bucked it. it. Looked like he had a big hand out on the front. I don't know. I was thinking I was like, you know, thing from the Adams family was there. So to call him things, look like a big hand. And then the next one was Lurch. And then, and then when I shot that deer last year, he had no tail. So we, you know, and he never did. We knew him from thinking when he was born. Basically, he lived his whole life on that farm. So we called him Pugsley because he had a pug, looked like a pug dog, you know, with no tail. So we called him Pugsley. Okay. But then we had, we had, we had Thing and Lurch and Pugsley. And I was like, okay, well, heck, the only one left is really Gomez and Wednesday. So let's call him Wednesday. And and that big one we called uh, Uncle Fester. And then, you know, so I was got to find one we called Gomez and we'll have the whole Adams family <laughs> routine going. So, yeah, you know, names are just goofy things. You just come up with something that just pops in your mind. And it's just, you know, normally it's just talking to our camera guys and Tiffany and stuff because, you know, you'd be like, well, there's this big 10 okay, the big 10, but then there might be two or three of them. And you're like, no, not that damn this one, you know? So, you know, you just kind of come up with a name for them, you know, something, anything that pops into your mind is that, well, this one, you know, I'll come Wednesday because, you know, whatever. So, you know, when you're talking to our little group of people, they all know what deer you're talking about. So, you know, names just pop up, goofy names like that. And that's just how How many years ago did you name them? Um, This was just last year. Okay. Yeah, because... No, we were really kind of hot. We really wasn't thinking the Adams family. We just called that one thing because it looked like a big hand out there. And then we had another one we called Lurch. But those were years ago on that farm. That was, you know, heck, the, both those deer have been dead for probably five years. So then again, just when it came to to Pugsley, we named him. And I was like, oh, look, we got Pugsley and Thing and Lurch. It's like all we need is, you know, Wednesday is. And so that's when we started naming We just called him Wednesday last year. Uh, before that, he'd just been the big nine. You know, okay. But, yeah. Now, now in closing, uh, Mazel talk just quickly about redneck. Um, you guys have been killing a lot of bucks out of redneck blinds. Is oh, it yeah. uh, is it odor elimination? Do you feel that's the greatest uh, reason? Is it staying warm? I mean, what what is the, the greatest reason that you guys are hunting out of them so much these days? Well, all of the above. I mean, really, if it wasn't for nostalgia's sake, I mean, for me, like the tree stands, I mean, yeah, there is something that, you know, you can, you know, you can shoot 365 degrees, you know, just on a wing or a buck comes running in underneath you in the timber or something, man, you can move by him and shoot. There is, you know, a little bit more mobility in a, in a tree stand, you know, than, than in the blind. But that's the only thing. I mean, if it wasn't, for like I said the nostalgia part because that's the way I grew up hunting you know throwing one on your back and you just you know I still love to do that and and hunting in the timber you know just for during the rut in the timber so fun you know hearing them you know grunting in there and hear the leaves and running and stomping and and stuff you know you kind of love that but if you, if it came on just hey you know I strictly just want to kill this deer you you would hunt a redneck every single time because just the the odor elimination that you can that you can do in there. Um, this is what you can get away with on scent. You don't really if the wind is swirling or if the wind isn't even isn't even perfect. If the wind's blowing out in the field, you can hunt them. You can get away with 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 it. I mean, it's incredible what you can get away with in there. And then and then just the movement you can get away with. And let's just face it, the comfort. I mean, you can just sit in a nice chair in there, and it's you know so many times it's raining out or snowing out or windy out. It's just so much more comfortable. I mean, like Drury's, I think he's, I mean, like Mark Drury's just gone basically straight to just hunting rednecks. I hardly, I don't know that he shot a deer out of a tree stand. I can't even think of the last one. And he, heck, for me, even hardly. 
I mean, shot a few, but, you know, the rednecks are a go-to, and especially with the ones with the trailer. You know, there's a buck right now that I was thinking for tipping is a kind of a big, heavy 10, and he's been on the scrape a bunch, and there's a cornfield there. It's just kind of a strip of corn. I said, man, let's get that one on the trailer, and we can just pop it up in there, and it's so nice. You can walk down the corn, the rows of corn, and you just pop up in that thing so quietly and easy, and, and bang, you know, you can you don't have to look for the perfect tree that, or you know, you can say, okay, which way the wind's going to be for this week? Well, I can just pop it up here. And, okay, if the wind changes, hey, we can roll it, move it over to the other side. The deer don't even pay any attention to it. My buddy Mark Philback, who came down here, he hunted for one hour, not even an hour. But same thing, I had like three mature bucks that were on this cornfield. So we just went and pop, we put a redneck on a trailer and popped it up there. And he came in that night, and he's like, do you think that, well, you just put up this night, aren't they going to be looking at that thing? I said, they don't even pay any attention to them. And he got in and bang, within half an hour, one of the one of the three bucks came out and he smoked it and fell right in the field. And it's just like, there's just so much, so much you can do with them. So I always have some rednecks on trailers. And they, that works just so good because it's face, you know, you can't really afford to have a, you know, a redneck every place you want one, but having the trailer kind of eliminates that. You just put it where you want it. And mm-hmm. it was, this is a wheat field. I mean, I pulled this thing right into a wheat field when I should have shot him that first time back on, should have shot Wednesday back on October 13th, he literally walked right next to it, like at 10 feet from him. We all had to look over the, out the side. Where is it? Whoa, there he is right there. And he walks right in front of the thing. We just put it there that day. And then all these so do you think, eating all, the, all these off there, and they just don't pay attention to it. Do you think do you, they think it's farm equipment or something? I mean, Bill Winky sure. has a strategy. That's what kind of, he waits until he's, you know, harvesting crops or whatever, and, and there's a lot of equipment in the field, and he slides one, slides one in on a trailer and, you know, kills a buck. I mean, do you, do you think they just think it's another piece of equipment? I think, see, and the, the reason that I did that, too, on this wheat field, like I say, because we have our barn there, and there's always, we have, like, and actually this trailer was sitting up by the barn, and then we have, like, grain wagons and our tractors, and there's always all kinds of commotion there and stuff, and now in this wheat field, they're just like, Hey, I'm just hesitant to hunt there until I just like, all right, I got to hunt this wheat field because I'm getting more pictures of them there than anywhere. But you just kind of think there's people and our grain bins are there and they're hauling grain in and out. And you're just like, there's so much commotion. I can't imagine be there, but here's all these deer there. But I think they're just used to stuff being there. And so that was part of the reason that I just went and hunted it that day. But because, I mean, it was just 200 yards up from that, just sitting in the, in the, you know, by the barn all the time. But it seems to me like if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't put that, a redneck on the ground, Right there, they'd freak out. They wouldn't even come by it. It just seems to me like when it's something in the air and they can see through it because they're not really worried about, you know, what's up in the air. They want to see what's all around them on their level because let's face it, other than tree stand hunters, it's, you know, coyotes or whatever, dogs and stuff that they're worried about. Something that's up in the air, if they can see past it, I don't think they're very concerned about it. Because you put like a redneck up, we've done this so many times. As long as they can see past it, or you know, under it, they're not concerned with it. So that's it. But like I said, if you put that on the ground, they'd freak out. I think they, okay, they, see something, they see something that, whoa, I can't see past it. They're afraid of it. But if it's up in the air, they can see past it on the ground level. Stuff that their normal danger, coyotes, dogs, whatever, they're, you know, things that they're afraid of. People, they're on the, come from the ground. They don't come from the trees, really. So or up in the air. So once you can see through it. They never seem to bother him a bit. We put him out and we go hunt him that day. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And we cool. learned that from the past. You know, we said, let's put one on the ground. 
you know, try to get a ground blind to heck, you can't even, you can, you know, brush it in, do everything you want, and deer, they'll still freak out with it. And it's like, why even bother? Put a redneck on a trailer there, they won't even look at you. It's yeah, crazy. That's that's cool. Yeah. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. I know it's crazy, and you're hunting every day from daylight <laughs> yeah. till dark. Uh, mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your oh, busy I just, life you know, to I love, talk. I, yeah, anytime, anytime, because I, I always tell people, it's like, <clears throat> I'll sit and talk deer 24-7, so as long as it's not, <laughs> poor as wife. As it's not daylight out, I'll sit and I'll talk deer, any, anyone, anytime. So, <laughs> cool. I well, thank it. you very much, sir. You bet. Anytime. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. There is no question that uh, Lee Lakoski is probably one of the most knowledgeable whitetail guys uh, in the woods today. And it was great uh, talking about whitetails and EHD and the big buck he called Wednesday. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you learned something today. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And if you could do me a favor, go and subscribe to the Drop Time Report on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Also, if you want to learn more about me, uh, and my speaking engagements and speaking at wild game dinners, you can visit my website at tracybreen.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y-B-R-E-E-N.com. I appreciate all you listeners out there, and tune in next week for another Big Buck Story. Thanks. <laughs>